So, like I said, we're going to start uh, once a month doing something different we're going to talk about. And we're starting this morning. We're going to, uh, we'll be in John chapter 4 next week. But this morning we are going to talk about a parable. And uh, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Jesus taught many parables. Oh, what was I saying? I was talking about a an agreement between Israel. Yeah, almost forgot. Yes, speaking of current events, right. Uh, there's a deal being done right now between Saudi Arabia, right, and Israel. What probably a lot of people don't know is that Saudi Arabia is who controls the Temple Mount. So th- they have say over what happens. And this deal could pave the way for Israel having the rights to start rebuilding the third temple in a big way. Because Saudi Arabia will ha- has the power to say, move the mosque and let Israel have the temple mount. It's crazy to think of. But they have the power to do that. And this agreement could be the beginnings of that. We don't, we don't honestly know, but trust me, there's a, a lot of people are paying attention to it, right? And we've told you before that Israel pretty much has everything they need to start rebuilding the temple, short of the actual Ark of the Covenant, right? They, they pretty much have everything else. So they're ready to go. So anyway, pay attention to that. As things change or, or move with that, it might be something that we discuss later. But this morning, we're going to talk about the parable of the 10 virgins. Now, Jesus taught many parables. But there's no parables in the Gospel of John, and we're going through the Gospel of John, so I thought, why not? If we're going to take a little break from the Gospel of John, let's touch on a parable, because he doesn't touch on them in the Gospel of John. He touches on them in the other synoptic Gospels. As a matter of fact, there's, there's over 30, maybe close to 35 parables, something like that, between the other three synoptic Gospels, so, but none in John. And we did touch on some parables way back when we went through the Gospel of Mark, if we can remember back that far because that was like six years ago. But today we're only going to look at this one, because this parable, the parable of the ten virgins, is only found in Matthew. And it's in Matthew 25. Now you might be like, what's a parable anyway? Well, what? I mean, you might have an idea. You may have been told what a parable is. Um, and the Greek word for parable, which is parabole, means to set alongside. So a parable is generally a, a story. Some refer to them as uh, uh, proverbs that is uh, set alongside a spiritual truth. You know, for to teach you a, a daily truth in a sense about living. Right? It's a comparison of one thing with another. It, it runs alongside. So Jesus is going to take an, uh, a story and line it alongside a spiritual truth to teach you a lesson. Now, you know, it's there for contrast. Some say a parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, I think that many of us look at parables, you know, um, depending on how you studied them, and we see parables as sort of uh, trying, you know, when we read them, we think it's kind of like solving a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, right? We're like, I just don't get it. I don't understand, right? But I also think that we often try too hard. 
to discern the secret meaning within the parable uh, when the simple truth of the parable is generally right in front of you as it is today. Now, there is a quote by A.T. Robertson. He was a a Baptist preacher back in the 30s, and he said, without spiritual truth and insight, the parables are unintelligible. And I feel that sometimes we look at parables and that's how we feel. But But here's the thing. We have spiritual truth and insight, right? right? We have it so because we have Jesus and we have the word of God and we have the spirit of God to teach us. So therefore, parables to us should not be unintelligible. They shouldn't, really should not be. Now, so that we have the, the word of God and the spirit of God to teach us. Jesus taught his disciples about parables. It tells us in Mark, for example, it says that, you know, many similar parables Jesus spoke to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So when he was speaking to the crowds, you're going to find out specifically a lot has to do with religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and stuff like that. When he was speaking to them, he spoke a lot with parables. But when he was alone then with his disciples, he would explain to them the meaning and the purpose of the parable. So that's the way it is with us. We have God's word to teach us what these things mean. There's no reason for them to be unintelligible to us. That being said, they were unintelligible to many people at the time that Jesus taught them. And guess what? I don't know if you know this or not. This is something you should understand. They were unintelligible on purpose. Okay? Jesus taught parables and did it in a way that they'd made no sense to certain people on purpose. Right? He did it that way on purpose. It was intentional on the part of Jesus. So you might say, well, why? Why would he intentionally say things that were confusing or unintelligible to people? Well, Jesus spoke in parables because he found it the best way to expose the true spiritual condition of those to whom he was speaking, teaching, and preaching. Right? Those people weren't meant to understand what the parables meant. They weren't to understand what they meant. This is why when his disciples come to him in Matthew 13, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? I mean, they're asking Jesus. Why do you continue to speak to these people in parables? And this is what Jesus told them. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's what, just so you know, that's the Lord's telling you. To you, right? It has been given to know know the secrets of heaven. You know the secrets of heaven. But to them it has not been given. They don't have that knowledge. They don't get that knowledge. It hasn't been given to them. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is why I speak to them that way. Because they have eyes, yet they don't see. They have ears, yet they don't hear. So I speak to them in parables. That's why Jesus says things like, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Or whoever has eyes to see, let them see. That goes out to you. Those Those who see and hear to you, it has been given 
to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, to the blind and to the foolish and to the mockers and to the deceivers of God's word, it has not been given. So he speaks to them in parables because what it does is it exposes their hypocrisy, specifically the religious leaders. Understand that Jesus spoke a lot in parables specifically to upset the religious leaders because they should have known what he was talking about, yet they did not know what he was talking about. And when they found out what he was talking about, when it finally clicked and made sense, you know, you ever told that a joke to someone and they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And then like a year later, they come up to you and they go, I just got it, right? <laughs> or they'll call you up. I just got that joke. Well, well, Jesus would teach the parables and the religious leaders didn't understand them. But yet later, the religious leaders would be like, I believe that that parable is against us, <laughs> right? And then they, of course, would get mad at Jesus, right? This is part of why they, were, they, they wanted to kill him. Because they started to understand that, wait a minute, those parables are being taught against us. Maybe we're the whitewashed tombs. Maybe we're that, right? He's, they started putting pieces together. Here's the thing. Parables are not really illustrations. They are tests of where we are spiritually. And often the ones who do not understand what Jesus was saying, the ones who could not see or could not hear, like I said, they were the religious leaders. They're the ones who should have known. And by not understanding, they expose their hypocrisy. So when Jesus speaks in the parable, when you read a parable, when you're reading through scripture and Jesus is speaking in the parables, it is a call for you to listen. Not just as one would listen to a story, but listen as one who is earnestly seeking the truth of God. Right? So whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's read Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy... The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you speak this to us, and that you just make it clear. Make it clear to our hearts what it is that you're telling us. Make it clear to our hearts the warning that's found in these verses. Make it clear to our hearts about what you're speaking about because it's not confusing. It's very straightforward. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit speak it to us. And Lord, I just want to pray this morning for all those who aren't here, who may be going through things, who need to hear, Lord, not only just this message, but just need to be encouraged by you. Lord, I just pray that you strengthen Lisa down in California taking care of her parents, going through you know, a lot of hard work and struggles. And Dale's up here blessing us with worship. So we pray, Lord, that you just bless Lisa this morning, that you continue to strengthen her, 
and encourage her and let her know that you are with her right beside her as she goes through difficult mornings and days. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Of all the parables that Jesus taught, dare I say that maybe this one is the most controversial or at least the most misunderstood. I don't know. Everyone has their opinion, but there's a lot of opinions about this one specifically. However, this parable does not require a decoder ring to understand it. Matter of fact, it's very straightforward. And the whole, you can sum up the whole parable in one verse. That's the last verse, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day or the hour. That's it. That's the whole, the summation of the entire parable. That's not really confusing. It's telling you, be prepared. That's what it's telling you. I can tell you that up front. Okay, we can all go home now. Or wait, we can go down and have, and have food. We're done, right? No. But this one, for some reason, does cause a lot of discussion. Now, the, the parable, this parable, is found in the midst of a teaching called the Olivet Discourse. Right? Jesus is on the top of the Mount of Olives, right? answering questions from his disciples on the whole matter of topics. Matter of fact, right, the whole discourse starts when the disciples ask him three questions. It's wrapped up like in one question, but it's actually three questions. They say, tell us, when will these things be? That was the first question. And what will be the sign of your coming? That's the second question. And of the end of the age, that's the third question. So they ask him those three things wrapped up in, in three questions. And Jesus goes off on this discourse, which goes on for two chapters. It's one of the longest sections of Jesus' teaching without taking a breath that there is, you know, in the Gospels. He probably took a breath. But, you know, he just continues talking. They don't interrupt him. He just talks for like two chapters straight. And he goes over all different topics. I mean, he, I mean, there's a lot of it that concerns Israel. There's a lot of it that concerns Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And when he's telling, listen, you know, like he talks about the abomination of desolation. He talks about the second coming. He talks about wars and rumors of wars. There's a lot of things that are specific to Israel. When he says, hey, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee to the hills, that's not for you. That's, that's not for you, right? That's for Israel. Because you're going to be raptured by that point, right? So you have to, when you go through these things, you have to know who he's talking to, what he's talking about, and he'll mix the, and he'll mix things up. He'll be talking about the second coming, go right into the rapture, go right back to the second coming. And you're going to be like, where are we? What are we talking about? Right? So you do have to kind of parse it out, divide, so you understand what he's talking about and who he's talking to, right? Jesus touches on deception. He touches on all kinds of things. He touches on the rapture, right? Some say that Jesus first touches mainly on things that are pertaining to Israel and to the Jews. And then after he gets done discussing those things, he talks to, to his disciples about basically the church and about believers and what it's going to be like for the church and believers leading up to the last days or in the last days. Right? So there's a lot of varying opinions of what exactly Jesus is saying and who is he saying it to. And, and, but we're not talking about the Olivet Discourse this morning. We're not teaching on the Olivet Discourse this morning. So we're not going to go through all of that. But maybe some other time when we have a you know, spare year to get through it. But this morning we're only going to focus on one parable. Understand? The parable of the ten virgins. It's found in the middle of the discourse. And this is how it starts. It's pretty straightforward. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like... Not was like, but will be like. 
10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So right away at the beginning of the parable, we know that there are 10 virgins and they're going to go meet the bridegroom. Now, let me tell you, this, this parable has nothing to do with weddings, right? It's a, it uses a wedding, uses the idea of a wedding, something that would have been understood by the disciples, right? But it really has nothing to do with a wedding. Though a wedding is a part of it, that's not the purpose it's not to teach you about cultural traditions concerning weddings. That's not what Jesus is trying to teach you. But right away we find that there's 10 virgins, and each of these virgins have a lamp. Just so you understand, the lamps are lit. Right? If you don't know, when you're going to go meet the bridegroom and it's going to be late and you've got to walk around in the middle of the night, you need some way to light your path in and have flashlights, they took lamps. Right? So they all ha- each have a lamp. The, all the lamps are lit, and they're all going to go meet the bridegroom. They weren't very big lamps. We're not talking Coleman camping lanterns, right? They're these little tiny lamps. That I don't know how much oil they held, but they didn't hold a lot of oil, which is why five of the virgins carried flasks of oil with them, because they were smart and wise, right? We find that they're five wise and five foolish. And the difference between the wise and the foolish is, of course, that the wise brought the flasks of oil with them, the extra oil. Right? But the foolish, they didn't bring any. They didn't bring any at all. And obviously, we know right from the beginning, we want to be like, we want to be wise, right? not foolish. We want to be wise. So the bridegroom tarries. That means he ran late. Right? He was delayed. The flight, you know, was delayed. Traffic jam. Uh, we, who knows, right? He, he, he tarried in the sense that they were actually expecting him earlier, and he hadn't shown, and he's running late. And it was late enough that the, 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 the virgins, they all fell asleep. All 10 of them. Okay? They all just fell asleep. Because he wasn't there yet. They were probably exhausted. They'd been waiting up all day for him, Right? So as the bridegroom was delayed, verse 5, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, right? The bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. I want you to notice, all 10 virgins get up. All 10 virgins trim their lamps. All 10 virgins, for the most part, or at least they think, are ready to go. Right? They heard the cry, they woke up, they trimmed their lamps, they're ready to go. But, oops, wait a minute. The five foolish versions are like, oh, our lamps are, they went out. They're running low on oil. We don't have enough to get where we're going. We're going to be walking in the dark. We need, we need oil. Can you spare some of your oil for us? We need oil. And the wise versions say no. Just so you know, we haven't even got into what oil represents, but most of you are smart, so you probably understand. But we'll get into it in just a second. But you, you can't, you know, spiritually speaking, you can't go buy the oil. It's not available at the corner store, right? But the wise virgins say, no, we, we don't have enough to spare for you. You have to go get it yourself. So those five foolish virgins run off to buy oil. But during the time that they're gone, the bridegroom comes Everyone follows him into the wedding feast. The doors are shut. The foolish virgins come back and they're like, hello, 
We're part of the wedding party. Let us in. We're back. We got our oil. And the guy's on the other side of the door going, no, I don't know who you are. I don't know you. I don't know you. All right? Afterwards, the virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I don't know you. There's a danger, spiritual danger, in the complacency and carelessness that can be found when we have to wait much longer than we anticipated. That danger is procrastination. Right? The, the foolish virgins weren't prepared. Right? I get the impression that maybe they all let their lamps they, let, they kept them lit while they fell asleep. They just kind of fell asleep and let their lamps stay possibly lit. So, so when they woke up, possibly the, the foolish virgin's lamps were either almost out or maybe they were out of oil. They needed oil to light their lamps again. They needed oil for the lamps, but only the wise virgins who had brought extra oil had enough to light to continue going. Right? It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 4, it says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What does that mean? That means procrastination can bring failure, right? Possibly catastrophic failure, right? This is something like my kids are learning in school. I have all this homework I need to do. It's due in a couple days, so I'll wait until the last second and do it all. How well did that work out for you? That didn't work out really good at all, right? I didn't get it done in time, so I didn't get to go with the other students and enjoy this activity. I didn't get it, you know, our, the school that kids actually go, that two of our kids actually go to actually has a rule. You have, you, you should get all your schoolwork done that week while you're at school, but if you don't, you have the weekend to get it finished. If you don't have it finished before Monday rolls around and school starts again, you don't come to school on Monday. That's the rule of the school. You miss that day because you got to stay home and do your schoolwork. So they get home and they have 80% of their schoolwork done, which is great. I mean, there's, honestly, there's not always enough time in school to get everything finished at, the, at that moment. But they, you know, they can, it won't take long to do it. They could possibly have it done in a couple hours. But they, 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 it's like they're watching the clock. Okay, how many hours are left? Ten? I'll wait eight more hours, right? <laughs> they're waiting for the last second to do it, and they're running that risk every time of possibly not getting it finished and then suffering the consequences because of it, right? But, you know, your, your homework, I mean, if you don't do it, it's probably not going to kill you. It may affect your grade, of course, but your soul, that's a different story, Right? So the idea, of course, is stand prepared. It says in Ecclesiastes 10.10 that if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. What does that mean? That means if you're going to cut down a tree and you have an axe, but you don't sharpen it, it's going to take a lot more work to cut down that tree. You may actually not even get that tree cut down. It would be wise of you to sharpen the axe first. It would be wise of you to be prepared 
to be prepared to cut down a tree if you know that's what you're supposed to do, right? Be prepared. Listen, I know some of you, some of you are prepared for war, right? There are people I know who are prepared for war. When I was in Bible college, this is, he wasn't really prepared for war, but one of the teachers, you know, not literally, one of the teachers there, Scott Vincent, who was the pastor of Calvary Linwood slash Edmonds and now is retired and living off in Spokane, he would come into class. He taught me like Genesis and some of the, the other classes. He would come into class and we were like meeting in the library and you don't know where that is, but you know, that had tall ceilings. I want to say that it was like, you know, 15 feet, maybe, maybe 20 feet. I can't remember. It had tall ceilings in that room. And so he would come into class to teach the class and he would, he would come in and he'd look around and go, oh, oh man, the, the trim's fallen off. Oh, hey, that hole needs to be patched. Oh, you know, and he would just start seeing things that needed to be worked on that the church hadn't been able to keep up on or whatever. But since he was teaching in that room and he saw that stuff and he'd, he's like, oh, that needs to be done. And he'd be like, just a second class. And he'd walk back out. Next thing you know, he's walking in with like a 20 foot tall ladder and he's got a tool bag and he's got a tool belt and he's got stuff over his shoulder. Right. And he just sets it up in the middle of the classroom and he just up to like, bang, 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 you know, and he's doing construction work in the middle of class. And you're like, you know, he didn't have that stuff because he knew it needed to be done. He just always had that stuff in his vehicle. His truck always had that stuff on it. He's like, Mike, right? Who's not here? But, you know, we can talk about him. You know, you know, Mike's vehicle's packed for everything. If he just stops by your house and you're like, you know, my sink is dripping or I don't know what the problem is. You know how Mike is. He's like, I got whatever you need to fix that right with me right now, Right? Some people are prepared that way. And like I said, some people are prepared for war. Their axe is sharpened. They're wise, right? The trunk of your car is full of tools and medical kits and whatever you need, right? Knives, guns, flashlights, a Snickers bar. You have it all, right? You have it all in your car. You're ready, right? You need to change a tire. You got what you need. You need to bandage up a wound. You need a tourniquet. You got what you need, right? The kids need a snack. You got it. You need to fight off zombies. You got it. It's all in your car. No problem. You need to build a house, fix a sink, camping at the drop of a hat. Guess what? I got the tent and the sleeping bags in the trunk, right? When I first met Julie, what does she have in the trunk of her car? A 10-person tent and sleeping bags. And chairs. And chairs, right. And camping chairs. And what else? Baseball mitt, right? And I had a baseball mitt in the back of my car. One of our first quote-unquote dates is playing catch, right? And now, 17 years later, yesterday, we've been married for 17 years. But some people have all that stuff prepared, ready to go. They're ready for anything. Right? We're ready for anything. I mean, we got blankets and jumper cables, and we have a small table in the back of our van. We got food and water, medical kit. We got a change of clothes in there. We got like one of those vomit bags, whatever those things are called. Right? In the thing. glove box, yeah. There's stuff in the glove box that the kids open up. They go, What's that? I'm like, Don't worry. That's just... Mom put that there. Okay. Right? I don't go explain it to him. But, I mean, we got other things in the card I'm not going to discuss. But, I mean, but some people, some people, all they got is like old and moldy burger wrappers from McDonald's. Right? And they got layers of them in their car. 
and unpaid parking tickets and dirty underwear and bags of laundry or whatever else is in their car. I mean, honestly, if zombies attacked their toast, they aren't prepared to fight off zombies. They're not prepared for nuclear war. They're not, you know, they don't know the idea of, of you know, keeping their axe sharpened. I mean, they took out the spare tires so they could put in a subwoofer, right? I mean, they're even toast if they get a flight. I mean, if you're unprepared, what happens is that, is that you're setting yourself up for destruction. And that's what made the foolish foolish. Right? I mean, you have to understand, when you read this parable, this is why this parable is a little controversial. Okay? Because all ten had lamps. All ten, in that sense, were dressed and ready. Originally, all ten had oil in the lamps. All ten fell asleep. All ten were waiting for the bridegroom, right? All ten woke up when the shout went out that he was coming. All ten got, you know, cut the wicks and got their, their lamps ready. All ten, right? You have to understand, all ten. The five of them just forgot the extra oil. And so when, they, when people start, up, you know, trying to figure out, like, well, who are the ten virgins? And what does it represent? And all, they, they start getting confused because they're like, well, all ten had oil in their lamps. All ten were dressed and ready. All ten woke up. All ten, there's just five who didn't have the extra oil. So they're like, well, those ten virgins, that's like, that's like the church, right? Because the church is the bride of Christ. And, 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 the, and the bridegroom, well, that's, that's Jesus, right? And they're waiting for the coming of Jesus. And, but, but how come five of them didn't get to go? I mean, if they had oil in their lamps, right? how come? But they didn't have the extra oil. How can you lose oil, et cetera? They get a little confused. It gets controversial because they're like, well, no, I mean, is it, does this have to do with your salvation? And well, you know, kind of. It does have to do, I mean, it's talking about being prepared, right? It's talking about being prepared for the coming of Jesus, something that the church should be aware of and be waiting for, right? So all 10 brought their lamps. They all 10 answered some sort of an invitation to go to a wedding, 10 was a normal number for like, for example, bridegrooms. That was a normal number for, for a wedding. And it would be normal for them to be virgins. So they all answered some sort of an invitation, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. So they all answered some sort of an invitation. And they all assumed that the bridegroom was coming, though they, maybe they didn't agree on when he was coming, but they all, you know, all of them. And the only thing that made the foolish foolish was they didn't have any extra oil. And what does that mean? That means they weren't intentional with their actions. They weren't intentional in being prepared. Right? They were okay with the wedding if it happened on their timing. And it was obviously that those five expected the bridegroom to come earlier. Had he come earlier, this wouldn't have been a problem. We would have been ready. Right? They were willing to do it if it was convenient, right? If the bridegroom came quickly. He didn't, however, and they couldn't handle the delay. They ran out of oil or were almost out of oil because they weren't prepared. Look at it this way. 
before we even get into oil, right? look at it this way. The, the foolish virgins were in a sense crashing a wedding they weren't actually invited to, yet they thought they were. Wrap your head around that one. They weren't actually invited. They were dressed up. They were ready to go. They looked the part. They knew everyone in the wedding party. They knew the bridegroom, yet they were not on the guest list. They weren't even ready to go, truth be told. When they actually went and bought the oil and showed back up, what'd they say? We don't know you. We don't know you. They weren't prepared. They didn't have the extra oil. The extra oil was the key. The extra oil was the key to getting to the wedding feast. They didn't have it. They looked the part. They thought they were invited. They assumed they were invited. It's a bad assumption to make. But they didn't actually have an invitation. Right? Spiritually speaking. So what's the oil? Right? I mean, if this is the one thing that made the foolish foolish, so they didn't have the extra oil. What's the oil? Well, the oil is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the oil is. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then guess what? You have the oil you need. But what we're talking about is that five of the virgins were born again. And five of them had had an experience with the Holy Spirit. They had felt a call from the Holy Spirit. But they had never given their lives to Jesus. Which is why they had a lamp. Right? Why they were dressed the part. Why they were hanging around with others who were born again. Right? And like I said, the oil, you can't buy it. It's not available in stores. It's only available through Jesus. And if you have Jesus, then guess what? You're wise. Without Jesus, you're foolish. Despite all the similarities that the ten virgins shared, only five of them were wise. Only five of them were born again. Right? Because that oil, that extra oil that they brought with them for their lamps is the ever-present and active work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The five were true followers of Christ. The other five... They may have had belief, but they did not have faith. And you are not saved by belief. You are saved by grace through faith. There are people who will follow Jesus, and they will follow Jesus' followers up until a point. Right? Up until they run into hardship, up until they get persecuted, up until they feel slighted or don't get their way, right? up until the rubber hits the road, until they're forced to make a stand for Christ or to stand on the truth of God's word, or until they have to wait for Christ. Until things don't go the way that they had expected it to go until it's no longer convenient for them. And then, right, after all the compromises that they've made along the way, all the worldly progressive false gospels that they mixed into their drinks, which has soured their spirit, right, it ends up choking out the truth and they fall away. 
Matthew 13 puts it this way, talking about the parable of the seeds, if we can borrow from another parable. Just so you know, the parable of the seeds has nothing to do with prosperity gospel. Okay? In case you heard that recently from a local church who loves to teach that. Right? It has nothing to do with that. Read your Bible. But it says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Right? You understand that? The seed fell on rocky ground, but they received it with joy. That means at first they were like, woo! What is that? They got a lamp. It's lit. They've received it with joy. But since they have no root, it only lasts a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. In other words, the lamp goes out, they run out of oil, they don't have anymore. They never gave their life to Jesus. They, the seed fell, they received it with joy. There was a beginning, but there was never a surrender. They received the oil. They had that initial experience with the Spirit of God that drew them in, but the joy of that lasted only a short time, and then they fell away. Let me tell you a truth. If you don't understand this truth, if you haven't thought about it before, let me tell you a truth. True believers cannot fall away. Okay? Apostasy is not possible for those who've come to Jesus by faith. It's not. It only happens for those who have not. It only happens for those who have come casually, maybe, who have come part way, who haven't, who have no roots, who have never surrendered their life, who have received it, felt the call, stepped into the church, maybe. They go to all the potlucks, hang around with all the Christians, but they've never actually surrendered their life. And when persecution arises and when troubles arise, for whatever it may be, they forgot to buy extra oil. They didn't have it, right? They fall away. But it doesn't happen to those who have been saved by grace through faith. Spurgeon points out some similarities between the foolish virgin and what he refers to as the hypocritical Christians. Remember, parables, Jesus taught to point out a spiritual truth to someone. And generally, he taught of them, and those who should have known that truth, like the Pharisees, didn't. But instead, what it did is pointed out their hypocrisy. So Spurgeon points out similarities between the foolish virgins and what he refers to as the hypocritical Christians. He says, they may have thought that if they had lamps that they were similar to those who were carried, right, to those carried by others, it would be sufficient. In other words, this is what it looks like to be a Christian, so if I look like that, that's good enough. No one will know the difference. I'll get through the door, right? Perhaps they judged that the secret store of oil being unseen was unnecessary, they were willing to carry a lamp in one hand, but to devote the other hand to the care of an oil flask was more than they were willing to do. I'm willing to give of my time this way, but I'm not willing to give any more of it. Not willing to surrender completely to God. Not willing to give him my life. I'm not willing to put my faith and trust in Jesus. But I'm willing to call myself a Christian. 
right? It is the want of the oil of grace that is the fatal flaw in many a professor's lamp. Many have a name to live, but not, ha- but not the life of God within their souls. They make a profession of attachment to Christ, but they have not the inward supply of the spirit of grace to keep it up. There is glitter or flash, but there is no permanent light, and there cannot be any. For although they have lamps, they have no oil with them. In other words, externally, they look just like everyone else that calls themselves a Christian, but inwardly, their heart is far from God. They have no oil. And these five foolish virgins had no oil. And look what happens to these five foolish virgins. We've already talked about it, right? They come to the door and he says, I do not know you. Like I said, when you're unprepared, then you're setting yourself up for destruction. Eternal destruction. The wise man prepares. The foolish man sits around and says, well, you know what? It's in God's hands. I don't need to do anything. But that's not what God's word teaches. It says, listen, here is what I've given you. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to be a good steward of what I've given you? Right? There's other parables that talk about this. What am I going to find you doing when I return? Are you doing work for the glory of God? Are you giving the gifts? Are you taking the gifts that I've given you and using them for the glory of God? Or are you just sitting back and going, well, it's all in God's hands. I don't need to do anything. Oh, whatever. It's going to be what it is. Say, I love you. Say, I love you. Whatever. And then when God comes back, you find out that you weren't ready because you'd never actually done the most important thing, which is giving your life to Jesus. those of us who are filled with the Spirit of God should have an urgency to be prepared. Right? When you really believe something, you're going to prepare for it. You understand? If you really believe you're going camping and you're leaving this weekend, you're going to prepare for it so that you can leave and go camping. If you really believe something, you're going to prepare for it. If you really believe Jesus is going to come back, then you're going to be prepared for it. If you really believe in Jesus, then your life will be an example of that. The reality of your life will testify to that. If you really believe it. So the first thing is, is that you should know what you believe. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you believe about the second coming? You know, for a long time, we've been watching some sessions of a prophecy conference just recently. And they, you know, when you're talking about the history of the church and stuff, there was a while the history of the church didn't talk about certain, uh, you know, eschatological matters. They didn't talk about end times or last days or stuff like that. It wasn't something that was prevalent to them. They couldn't see how it was going to work out yet, but, but, you know, then there came a time where the church is like, whoa, Jesus is returning. I mean, you can, you can go back in church history and find the line almost where the church went from, we're not really going to worry about or talk about or really focus on these things to, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, Jesus is returning. Are we prepared? Jesus is coming back. It's a real thing. We, we should be teaching this.
know what you believe. As Christians, we need to know what we believe. We need to be able to defend what we believe. If someone came up to you today and said, oh, hey, you're a Christian, yeah. Oh, yeah, I am. Well, why? Could you answer the question? Could you tell them why? Well, um, uh, uh, well I wasn't expecting that. Uh, let me, uh, oh, I go to church on Sundays. Uh, you know, my parents were Christians. Uh, I own a Bible. Uh, hopefully it's not like that. Hopefully your answer's a little better, right? But we need to know what we believe. And knowing what we believe is just not being able to regurgitate Bible verses, even though that's good, right? Knowing God's word is good. But it's, it's living the truth out that's been placed in your heart by the Spirit of God. And I might say that it's a truth that is confirmed by the Spirit of God. It's been confirmed to you. You know that you're a child of God. You know that your salvation is secure in the hands of God. And your life testifies to that, to the reality of that. Right? And it's seen in the way that you live your life. Sometimes you don't even have to tell people. Julie and I were doing a ministry where we did, um, uh, we worked at Keeler's Corner and we did uh, the activities, I don't even know what our official title was. It's been activities director. Yeah, I don't, it's been so long I can't remember our official titles and stuff. But one of the things that we did was welcome gifts. Right, so we'd pack these little bags and, and you know, bring them treats and stuff when they moved into the apartment complex. And yes, I'm still talking, but that's okay. You got a potluck. We're worried. We're not going anywhere, right? And um, and Julie, of course, was way ahead of the game on most of this stuff. And she would be, oh, the family that just moved in had little small kids, and they're three and five, and you know, she knew everything about them before I even I knew the family was there. And so she's like, we're going to get little stuffed animals, and we're going to put it in the gift bags, right? And so she was always ahead of the game on that stuff. And I was just like, well, we have to tell more people thanks for moving in. Oh, my goodness, okay. So, so one day, I remember this. I still, it still sits with me. We had never talked to this person before that I, I remember. We were just bringing them a welcome gift, saying, hey, you know, welcome to Keeler's Corner. Russian, I think. She was a Russian lady, if I remember correctly. We come up, we knock on the door. She opens up the door. We're like, hi, here, we're here to welcome you to Keeler's Corner. Here's your little welcome. You're Christians, aren't you? <laughs> it took us by surprise. I'm still, I still remember it to this day. I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> what did we, I wasn't wearing a shirt that said, yes, I'm a Christian. Right there, we didn't have any, how did, you know, what? But immediately when she opened the door, that's like the first thing that came out of her mouth. You're Christians, aren't you? Why? Just because we're giving you a welcome gift? There's something else that's done by the Spirit of God that testifies to the truth of that. And it's seen in the reality of your lives and how you live your life, Right? So you need to know what you believe. It's important to know what you believe. You need to know God's word, but most importantly, you need to live out God's word. You have to do what you believe. It isn't just knowing, it's also doing. We have a conversation with Dixon all the time, with our oldest, right? Dixon, hope he doesn't hear me, all right? Time to get off the computer. His response is always the same thing. I know, yeah, and we, our response is always the same thing. Well, if you know, then do it right? It's not just knowing what you believe, it's doing what you believe, right? And he doesn't always do it. He knows it. He doesn't always do it. There's a quote by somebody 
who I don't know. It says, know what you believe so that you can argue for why you believe it. Do what you believe so that, you, that what you believe is a reality in your life. It's the way it should be with your faith in Christ. Know what you believe, do what you believe. If you know what you believe and you know Jesus is returning, then your life should be about doing and being prepared for the return of Jesus. It should be a reality. Right? The truth of this parable, as I said when we started, is the same Right? Is verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. Here's the truth of the matter. Remember, Jesus speaking parables to religious leaders, purposely speaking them in a sense to confuse them because they should have known what he was talking about, but they didn't. So he's just not going to let them in on the secret. Okay? They had all the scriptures. They knew exactly what it said about the birth of the Messiah, where the Messiah was going to be born. They could have gone through all the numbers and they could have added up everything from the 77s and Daniel 9. They would have known the exact day Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. They could have been out there worshiping the Messiah as he came into Jerusalem. They had all the information they needed in front of them and yet they did not know what was going on, right? They didn't know. They weren't prepared. They had everything they needed to be prepared. They were not prepared. Jesus is now, instead of saying, well, you had everything you needed, but you weren't prepared, so let me teach you how to be prepared so you're ready for the second time. Now he's just like, you don't get to know. You had your chance. You don't understand these parables? Well, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear will because the Spirit of God is going to explain it to them. But for those of you who don't and are confused by it, well, that's on purpose. You had everything you needed to understand the first coming. Why do I think if I give you everything, you're going to understand the second coming? I'm right here in front of you and you you don't even know who I am. And yet you have everything that tells you exactly who I am. Jesus says, behold, I'm coming quickly. If Jesus is coming, listen, if Jesus is coming and you don't know when he's coming and you don't, the rapture, right? Signless event, nothing else needs to happen. It can happen at any time. But yet you believe it's going to happen. Then how critical is it for you to be prepared for it to happen? Right? The phrase, are you rapture ready? I still want to make that t-shirt. Right? How much more should we be ready if Christ can come at any moment? How, as Christians, how much more should we be ready? Listen, listen. It, the truth is we don't know the day or the hour. That's, that's the truth. But what we do know, the Bible has been clear about this. What we do know is the times and the seasons. We may not know the day or the hour, but Jesus has told us what it's going to look like leading up to that time. We have that right in front of us. Well, if the Pharisees had all the word of God right in front of them and they couldn't even figure out the first coming of Jesus or the birth of Jesus or the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, it's important for you to be ready. You have everything right here in front of you. You may not know the day or the hour, but you have the times and the seasons. You have God's word right in front of you. And if you truly understand this word and you truly believe this word and you know what you believe, and you do what you believe, then take hold of what you believe and be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready to go. Are you packed? 
and ready. Are you ready to go? Right? Is your bag by the door? Do you have your ticket? What's your ticket? It's the Holy Spirit. Have you been born again? Yes. Then, now, then you have your ticket. You're good. And is your life looking, living? Are you living your life that it looks like you're now ready to go? Are people asking you, you look like you're ready to go somewhere. Where are you ready to go? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to come get me. Right? I'm packed and ready. Every morning I wake up and I'm sore and my shoulder hurts and my back hurts. I'm like, oh, Jesus, come on. Let's make it today. Right? Please. I, was, I hurt too much. Come on. Make it a reality. It's personal. It should be a personal and apparent in your life. Make it a reality in your life. Right? Be prepared. Be dressed and ready. You have the oil. Right? As Christians, the Holy Spirit is preparing us and alerting us to not only what's happening around us. We see the signs. We see the times. We understand the events that are going on in the world and how fast these events are now happening on top of each other over and over again. It gives us, God's word gives us discernment about what's going to happen. We should have that discernment. We should understand what these signs mean. And that should lead us then to press on and abide in Christ even more. That's what it should do. Right? It tells us in Matthew 24, right? The chapter before this one, it says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Listen, failing to endure until the end is running out of oil. Those five foolish virgins didn't endure to the end. They didn't have the oil because they had never been born again, spiritually speaking. They had never given their lives to Jesus. They had everything else. They looked exactly the same as the wise virgins. But they weren't prepared. So be prepared. I'm going to end with this. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray.